Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life. Alrighty. Alrighty, thank you, Andreas, for praying for us. What a blessing. You know, you, you become like who you hang around. You hang around people of faith. Guess what happens? They rub off on you. Hang, work out who you're hanging around. Yeah, get good people around you. And man, our theme for this year is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this day, for this moment in time. We thank you, God, that you are moving, that you are here with us. The two or three are gathered. You're in this place. And Father, we pray that you'd speak to each one of us today, that we will not be the same, that we'll be transformed. As we leave this place, we'll be transformed. So Father, as I bring the word now, may you speak to us. May you lead us. May you guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a, amen. As a uh, young kid, um, I wanted to play guitar as a young kid, but for whatever reason, um, I, I learned piano from the age of 10. And so it was full-on piano. It was learning how to do scales and pieces. And then at the end of every year, I would go to the conservatory of music and do the exam. Who knows what I'm talking about? About five people, six people know what I'm talking about. And let me tell you, that's a, those, those conservatorium examinations are pretty, uh, pretty scary. You, uh, you go in like November or whatever it was, and you play to this examiner you don't know, and they write notes, and then when you're playing the piano, they might open the window, go, what was that? And they, it was a pretty scary experience. And I started with preliminary and then jumped to second grade and then third grade, and each year I did a grade. And what it meant is I'd have to spend like half an hour every day practicing the piano at home. And then as the, as the grades went up, the pieces got harder, which meant more practice. And then you had to add in chromatic scales and similar motion and contrary motion, hands together, hands separately. And then you do arpeggios, then thirds, and then sixths. And you do all this stuff. And then when you get up to fifth grade, sixth grade, whatever it was, piano, then you have to do the oral musicianship to go with it, which meant doing an exam about intervals and then writing out four-part harmony and all these things you had to go with it. And let me tell you, it was hard work. And there was many times that I wanted to quit piano, but to do with my mother, who's here today, her, her, her encouragement, and I think, and her, and her wooden spoon, wooden spoon, um, we, uh, we uh, got through. You can't do that nowadays, I don't think, but back in the old days, it was, it was all good, wasn't it? Um, I uh, got through. Now, as a young kid, playing the piano, man, um, I sort of enjoyed it, but I'd much prefer to be kicking a soccer ball out or riding a bike with my friends. And so there was many times I wanted to quit the piano because I just wanted to go and be a normal kid, if you like, hanging around with other kids, rather than putting that effort every day. But let me tell you, the benefit far outweighed the amount of effort and the pain. The benefit far outweighed the pain. At the end of high school, I played all the way to the end of high school, and at the end of high school, I, um, I decided I want to become a high school music teacher. And, and to get into the course, you had to have seventh grade piano and, and, and equi- an equivalent musicianship. And that's where I was at. So that enabled me to get into the course. And then because I completed the course, I was then able to teach music in a high school for nine years. And I blessed a lot of kids, earn an income. And that's all the benefit of the pain of learning to play the piano. But then from the age of 12, I started playing piano in church. And I'm still doing music in church some 33 years later. Wow. Some of you guys aren't even 33 yet. I've been doing music in church and creating an environment for people to encounter God for the last 33 years. And now I'm also um, leading the worship ministry for Transform Cambodia, which is a huge privilege 
And so the benefit far outweighs the pain of all that practice all those years ago. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we all go through things in life that's really difficult, things that are painful, but the benefit is so much greater than the pain. Let me give you some examples, and the first one could be really dangerous. Let's talk about childbirth. (laughs) Now, I've been in childbirth a few times, never done, you know, I've been there, I've been there a few times with my wife. Um, And I reckon for the ladies, you're like partway through childbirth and you just want to quit. That's my, that's my thought, right? And, and, and as a man who's sitting in there with my wife partway through, I wanted to quit. I was like, can we just end this? This is way, way too hard. But the benefit, you know, when the baby pops out, oh, nice way of saying it, when the baby comes out, the benefit of having that kid far outweighs the pain of giving birth. And so what do we do? We go and do it again. <laughs> and we go and do it again, Hannah. How many times? Four times. You're crazy. What are we thinking, you ladies? Crazy. How about, how about, how about learning something new? Learning to drive, learning a language, Andreas, learning English, um, learning a new thing can be, really, can be really tough. But again, once you've learned it, the benefits far outweigh the difficulty of learning. And also with something significant, maybe like starting a business or completing high school or completing university, can, these things can be really difficult, yeah? But once we complete it, the benefits of those things far outweigh the pain of going through it. And I think this is also true in our Christian lives. You know, if you're a Christian here today, and if you're watching, and if you're a Christian, you know, sometimes the Christian life can be tough. It can be really tough. Sometimes the things that we hope for, things that we expect, things that we're believing for, doesn't happen. And, and there can be a temptation when things as a Christian get tough, there can be a temptation for us to quit and for us to go, this Christian life thing is just too hard, um, I'm throwing it in. And, you know, one of the things for us in, in, in Australia today is persecution is increasing. If you're a Christian in this nation and you let people know that, you are generally looked down on. Um, I was rejected by my friendship group and I've heard many stories of Christians in Australia being rejected by their family because they've committed their life to Jesus. And as a Christian, you can be looked out, um, left out. You can be looked down upon. People can say nasty things to you, treat you poorly because you're a Christian. But then there's other disappointments. There can be um, you pray and you ask God and you, and, you, and you expect God to make a change in a situation of life and then you don't see the change that you're hoping for and that expectation, you have disappointment. Or maybe there is a, a, a Christian friend who's supposed to treat you like Jesus treats you. You know, they, they, they treat you poorly. Or a Christian leader does something stupid or treats you poorly. And it's in those moments you go, this Christian life, man, this is just, this is just too hard. This is way too hard. You know, and, and there can be a temptation to quit. But what I want to tell you today, that the benefits of following Jesus far outweigh any pain or difficulty that you can go through in this life. One more time. The benefits of following Jesus far outweigh any pain or difficulty that you can go through in this life. Amen? If you're a follower of Jesus today, let me tell you some of the benefits that, that, that you have as a follower of Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have a relationship with God. The God who promises to never leave you, never forsake you. Now, we have relationships with other people, 
And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But God, is, God, God promises ne- to never leave you. He's always going to be with you. If you're a Christian today, God's put his Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit that guides you, the Holy Spirit that transforms you, the Holy Spirit that gives you power to be his witnesses in the world, to do the things that he wants you to do. These are the benefits of following Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Another benefit is that you've been given a new identity. You know, you can see yourself like you were before Christ, and you can see yourself at how that teacher saw you or what that uncle or auntie said or that parent said about you. But what God says about you, Annabelle Riley, is that you are loved, that you are his masterpiece, that you are more than a conqueror. He says that you are adopted in that you are his son, that you are his daughter. He gives you a new identity, and he sees you incredible in Christ, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. He says that you belong to his family. You know, when you become a Christian, you are, you are born into a family that is across the earth. In every nation, there are believers, and you belong to that family, a family that loves you, that encourages you, that will support you. Another benefit is that your sin is forgiven. You know, we are sometimes trying to throw off our past, try to escape our past, and, and the memories come up, and people remember the stuff that we did. But when you come to God, God, and you come to him, and you ask him to forgive you for your sin, God says, you are forgiven. It's done. It's finished. It's over. It's dealt with. And now you know what he does? He can lift that guilt. He can lift that shame so that you're no, no longer carrying that burden of all that you've done wrong. But God can lift it, and God can set you free in Jesus' name. Another benefit is eternal life, a relationship that starts with now, starts now with God and goes forever. People are fearful of death. If you're in Christ, there's nothing to be afraid of in death. Friends, these are the benefits of belonging to Jesus. And these benefits far outweigh any difficulty, any, lo- any um, hope disappointed, any persecution, any rejection, any difficulty in this life. From having Jesus, the benefits far outweigh any difficulty, any pain that you can go through. And because of these things, because of these benefits... Our theme for this year is faithful. We are to be people who are continuing the journey, to be people who are full of faith, full of trust, full of reliance upon God because of who he is and all that he's done for us. Let's continue in the journey. This year I'm going to be preaching through Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 and 2 starts like this. Are we going okay so far? Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not yet see. Oh, you can't read that. That's interesting. I can read it. This is what the ancients were commended for. Let me go back one. I can't go back one. Let's go back to the faithful slide. Jeremy, while you're sorting that out or not, just take it all down. That would help too. Either way. Thank you, mate. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and it's assurance about what we do not yet see. I wrote down a a, a definition of faith. Here it is. We put our faith in God expecting to see an outcome that we do not yet see. When we put our faith in God, we are expecting to see an outcome that we do not yet see. And it says in this verse that this is what the ancients, those who went before us, were commended for. When we are people of faith, God loves that. God's pleased with that. That is a good thing. And so as we step out in faith, you know what? God is, God is happy. God is pleased with us. 
which is really, really awesome. But as I said, this is um, chapter 11. And you can't just start a book in chapter 11. Imagine our, our Ready, Aim, Fire book that we're reading in our life groups and our Ready, Aim, Fire groups this year. And just imagine you opened it up at chapter 11 and started reading. It wouldn't make any sense, would it? You have to go back to chapter 1 and through chapter 10. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what's going on in Hebrews chapter 1 through, through chapter 10? Is that a really good question? Yeah. And, and, and this is what we have. This is the answer. One more. Thank you. Next slide. Here it is. This is, this is Hebrews chapter 1 through chapter 10. Here's a summary. Don't quit. Jesus is better. That's a summary of Hebrews chapter 1 through chapter 10. Don't quit. Jesus is better. And because Jesus is better, remain faithful, chapter 11. Don't quit. Jesus is better. Because Jesus is better, keep going, keep following. These, these believers, these, these Jewish believers, it's called Hebrews because they were people who were, who, were, who were Jews, who committed their life to Jesus, and they were going through real, real difficulty. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that they were being persecuted for their faith. They're having their property confiscated. They were being locked up. They were being rejected. They were, they were losing out because of this faith in Jesus. And they had a temptation to return back to Judaism, to turn back to their old ways. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, don't turn back. Don't quit because Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything you see in Judaism. Jesus is better than any persecution. Jesus is better than being rejected from your community. Don't quit. Jesus is better. Now, I'm going to show you an eight-minute video from the Bible Project that summarizes the book of Hebrews, which is going to be a blessing to you. And it's all about don't quit. Jesus is better. Thank you, Jeremy. The letter to the Hebrews. The author of this letter is anonymous, and people have wondered for a long time whether Paul wrote it or maybe one of his co-workers like Barnabas or Apollos, but really we just don't know. In chapter 2, we discover that the author had a first-hand relationship with the disciples who were themselves around Jesus, so we know that this letter is anchored in the teaching of the apostles. We also don't know who the audience of this letter was or even where they lived. The author knows them really well, and he assumes that they have a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, especially the storyline of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, about how Abraham's family became the nation of Israel, about how Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt to Mount Sinai, where they received the Torah and they made a covenant with God, where they built the tabernacle, where the priests offered sacrifices, and also about how they wandered through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The author just expects that the readers know all of the details about these stories. And so most likely the audience is made up of Jewish Christians that's where the name of the letter comes from. We also have clues from chapter 10 that this church community was facing persecution and even imprisonment because of their association with Jesus. Some in the community were walking away from Jesus and abandoning the faith altogether. And this explains the purpose and the structure of this letter. First, there's a short introduction, which is followed by four sections where the author compares and contrasts Jesus with key people and events from Israel's history. Jesus is first compared with angels in the Torah. Second, 
Second, with Moses and the Promised Land. Third, with priests and Melchizedek. And lastly, with the sacrifices and the covenant. And the author has two main goals in all of these contrasts. The first goal is to elevate Jesus as superior to anyone or anything else, showing that Jesus is worthy of all their trust and devotion. But his second goal is this. It's to challenge the readers to remain faithful to Jesus despite persecution. So in every section, he includes a strong warning not to abandon Jesus. So let's dive in now and see how this all unfolds. The elevation of Jesus begins in the opening sentence of the introduction. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors in many different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. So the author saying that Jesus is superior to all of the previous ways that God has revealed himself to Israel. He then makes this astounding claim that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's nature. These metaphors are making the closest possible identification between Jesus and God. So Jesus is what the rays of light are to the sun, or Jesus is what the wax impression is to the signet ring. For this author, there is no God apart from Jesus. Jesus is God become human as the Son. And it's this elevated view of Jesus that's then explored throughout the rest of the letter. In the first section, the author compares Jesus with angels, which might strike you as kind of odd, like why angels? In Jewish tradition, it was taught, based on Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, that the Torah and the words of God were delivered to Moses at Mount Sinai by angels. And so by saying that Jesus is superior to angels, the author is claiming that Jesus and his message of good news are superior to all previous messengers of God's word. And so the first warning flows from this very point. If Israel was called to pay attention to the Torah that was delivered by angels, how much more should we pay attention to the message that was announced by the Son of God? And not only that, given Jesus' status high above the angels, how remarkable is it that he gave up that high status to become human, to suffer, and to die? In Jesus, we see God's greatest glory and God's great humility as Jesus sympathetically joined himself to humanity's tragic fate. In chapters 3 and 4, the author moves on to argue that Jesus is superior to Moses, who led the people of Israel through the wilderness and built the tabernacle. Jesus is also the leader of God's people, but in him we see not the builder of just a tent, but of all creation. Then the author retells the story of how the Israelites rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, and they lost their chance to enter into the rest that God offered them in the promised land. And so here comes the second warning. If Jesus is greater than Moses, how much higher are the stakes if we rebel against him? We also are in a wilderness-like environment where we have to trust God for the future rest in God's new creation. So let's make sure that we don't rebel like Israel did in the wilderness and lose out on God's gracious offer to enter his new creation. In chapters 5 through 7, the author then compares Jesus with Israel's priests that come from the line of Aaron. Their role was to represent Israel before God and to offer sacrifices that atoned for or covered over the sins of the people. But, he points out, the priests were themselves morally flawed people, and so they constantly had to offer sacrifices for their own sins as well as for everybody else's. Something more was needed. And so he then argues that Jesus was that something more. He's the ultimate priest. But Jesus did not come from the line of Aaron. Rather, Jesus was a priest in the order of Melchizedek that mysterious priest king from ancient Jerusalem, and he appears in the stories about Abraham. 
We also find in Psalm 110 that the Messianic king from the line of David will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So the author's whole point is this. Jesus is the ultimate priest king. He's morally flawless. He's eternally available for his people. And so he's superior to any other mediator between God and humans. And thus comes his warning in this section. To reject Jesus is to reject one's best and only chance to be fully reconciled to God. So don't do that which transitions us into the last comparison in chapters 8 through 10. The author shows how Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice, superior to all the animal sacrifices offered in the temple. Those sacrifices had to be offered constantly, both daily but also yearly on the Day of Atonement. Jesus offered his life once and for all, and it was sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world. And so the author warns the audience from walking away from Jesus. It's like turning your back on a gracious offer of God's forgiveness. Why would you do that? Jesus' sacrifice is permanent, he says, and it's the foundation for the new covenant spoken of in the prophets, where all sins are forgiven. So now that the author has elevated Jesus through all of these contrasts, This final section is one big challenge to follow Jesus. So think big picture. In Jesus, they have found God's very word. In Jesus, they have hope for the new creation. Jesus is their eternal priest. He's the perfect sacrifice. And so now they should follow all the great models of faith found throughout the story of the scriptures, and they should remain faithful to Jesus, trusting that despite whatever hardship and persecution, God will not abandon his people. That's the basic flow of thought throughout the letter, which the author calls right here at the very end a brief word of exhortation. Here's a couple of extra tips for reading this letter. Whenever the author quotes from the Old Testament scriptures, which is like every other sentence, stop and go look up the reference and read that quotation in its original context. And sometimes you'll be puzzled, but more often you'll see all kinds of extra cool connections that you would never notice otherwise. It's totally worth the effort. You should also just know that these warning passages, they're going to make you uncomfortable, and that's kind of the point. They're not there to make you afraid. They're there to show you that rejecting Jesus is foolish because he's so awesome. These warnings all serve the larger purpose of the letter, to show that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's love and mercy. And that's what the letter of the Hebrews is all about. Don't reject Jesus. What did he say? That's foolish, foolish because Jesus is awesome, awesome, awesome. That's how they said it. Yeah, here's, here's, here's my summary. Don't quit. Don't quit. Jesus is better. You know, in this, these, these uh, Jewish believers were persecuted for their faith. They were being rejected by their community. The temptation came for them to turn back to Judaism and reject Jesus. And the writer says, don't quit. Don't quit. Keep on going. Have you ever felt like you wanted to quit the Christian faith? Have there been times in, your, times in your walk with the Lord where it's been really tough? And you went, man, this is, just, this is just too hard. It could be around persecution. Someone's treating you poorly. You could be rejected. You could be missing out because you're a Christian. Or it could be disappointment. You know, you, 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 you believe in God for something and you didn't see it. Or you prayed for someone and they weren't healed. Or... A Christian friend treats you poorly or they don't treat you in the way that you expected them to be treated. Or a Christian leader does the wrong thing or does something stupid. You know, it's in these moments that can make the Christian life really difficult. And there can be a temptation to throw in the the towel. 
to say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this. But just like the writer of Hebrews reminds of people, I want to, I want to encourage you today. Don't quit because Jesus, Jesus is better. He is better than anything this world could offer. He's better than any pain of persecution, any difficulty that you can go through. He is the answer for all of life's concerns, all of life, all of life's problems. He's the one who offers you life in abundance. He can, he can satisfy you. A few thoughts. If you're looking for a feeling to get satisfied, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will give you peace and joy that is beyond anything that this world can offer. Amen? If you're looking for love, pursue God's love. The most selfless love that, has ever, that, the, that the world has ever seen. That the Father of all creation would give his son to die on a cross for you. Pari, he saw you. Debbie, he saw you. Margaret, he saw you. And he said, I love you. I am for you. I know you messed up. I know you need saving, particularly Pari. I know you messed up and need saving. And I'm going to send Jesus. I'm going to send Jesus for you. That is, that is the extravagance of God's love. Looking for acceptance? You want to be accepted by a group of influential people? The creator of the universe, the one who is the most famous, sees you and says, welcome, you belong to my family. You are accepted here. Looking for validation? God sees you. You want to know who you are. You want to know how you fit. God gives you a new identity. He says, the old is gone, the new has come. You are now his workmanship. You are now his masterpiece in Christ Jesus. Looking for your past to be erased. You know, we all have a past. You want it dealt with, you want it over. God can wash it away. I mean, the consequences of our past is still there. People can still remember from God's perspective. That can be dealt with. And it's his perspective that really matters. Because eternity is in his, his eyes. He's the one who offers it. And our past can be erased by him from his perspective. And as God forgives us, we can learn then to forgive ourselves. And the, and the shame and the guilt can be dealt with and thrown away. Looking for freedom? You're stuck in an area of life. You need freedom. Jesus, friends, is our healer. You're looking to make a difference in this life. You want to live a life of significance. What greater significance than to give your life to his kingdom and to influence people for his kingdom? Because that will have eternal value. Not just value for today, but eternal value. Looking for friendship. He's promised to never leave you. He's closer than any brother. You're concerned about what you will eat, where you will live, how you're going to afford stuff. He's the one who promises to provide Provide your needs according to his riches that are, in, that are in, according to his riches that are in glory. And you're concerned about death, you're concerned about eternity. In Jesus, there is no fear in death, because in him there is guaranteed eternity. Amen. Friends, the message for today is don't quit. Don't quit. Jesus is better. Don't quit. Jesus is better than anything that this world can offer. Jesus is better. I was about to say, Annabelle, come on down. Come and play for us. Come on, Ben, come up. That'd be really great. Don't quit. Jesus is better. Don't quit. Jesus is better. You know, I, I don't know what you're all going through today. I don't know the, the, uh, the uh, challenges, the struggles. I don't know what you're going through. But if there's a temptation in you to throw away the Christian faith, you're thinking this is too hard. If, you, if you're tempted to throw it away, don't. What you have in Jesus is so much better than that, that this world can offer. 
It's so much better than anything that this world can offer. You know, have you made a commitment to follow Jesus? Have you even made that commitment? I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you've never committed your life to follow Jesus, those online, those in the room, I'm going to pray a prayer. And it's a prayer to say, you know what, I'm committing my life to Jesus. Today's my day. I'm going to have Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. If you want that, pray this prayer after me. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, you've just become a Christian. You've just become a follower of Jesus. You really have. That's the best decision that you can ever make. Please tune in next week as we, look, as we talk about what it looks like to live a life of faith. Because committing your life to Jesus, like we did on Vision Sunday with the, with, with the vases, it's only the first step. And then God wants us to live a life of resting and live a life of stepping faith. And we're going to talk more about that this, more about that, that this year. We're going to sing a song, and, and partly through the song, I'm going to invite the prayer team up. And what we want to pray for today are people who are going through difficulty, people who are going through pain. I'm not suggesting that you're thinking about throwing away your faith. Maybe you are. And if that's where you're at, come and get prayer. Let someone minister to you. Let someone prophesy over your life. But we also want to pray for people who are just having a difficult time. There's situations in life that are just tough. We want to pray for you today. We want to invite God into that place. Let's stand and let's worship together. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name's Andrew and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support and prayer and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the next step button.